Thank you all for being here today at River Oaks on the first Sunday of a new year and a new decade. Great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for coming. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, communion after the message. And uh, because of that, I want to go ahead and mention a couple of things uh, which are in your bulletin at this time. The ushers won't pass a basket at the end. We always love it when you fill out these, hey, I'm here cards. You can indicate prayer requests or things about the church or you'd like to know more. You can just drop these in the baskets that will be at the door when you exit today. As you look in your bulletin, one of the items you'll see there, it's been in for a couple weeks, is about a um, podcast that we're beginning tomorrow called Psalm Starter. Just want to tell you briefly what that is and why we're doing it. Um, this is a very brief and I mean brief, 182nd daily, Monday to Friday, little audio teaching through the book of Psalms. We'll start at Psalm 1-1 and go right through these. About 155, I think, uh, are already recorded. Most uh, of them I did last summer. And if it goes well, we'll finish out the book of Psalms. Now, um, this is intended for people who are busy, short enough that you can listen to it while you're making coffee or driving to school or work, but you may wonder why the book of Psalms. I think the book of Psalms is one of the most underappreciated books of the Bible. The book of Psalms is remarkable in the way it ties together Old and New Testaments. The Psalms reflect back on the history of the Israelites and the parting of the Red Sea and all these great events, while it also looks ahead to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. But what causes me to love the book of Psalms so much is that the book of Psalms helps us learn how to pray and how to praise and worship God with the result that we can know God better and love Him more. I really believe a deep study of the book of Psalms helps us grow in our love for God. And that's why I recommend it. It'll start tomorrow morning on the various podcast platforms. If you want to get the notifications, you can just go there and subscribe. I do want to say a special word of thanks to Brett Canode because without his creative and technological help, it uh, would not have come to pass. Um, so that's what that is. One other uh, special thing happening this week, Tuesday night, we're having an epiphany service. Now, if you're like me, uh, you, you maybe didn't even know what an epiphany service was until we started having those here. I didn't grow up in a church that observed things like Ash Wednesday services, epiphany services, but uh, Brett has designed this service. It'll be in our gym this Tuesday night at 6.30, and you're all invited to that. Finally, those of you who are members of River Oaks, next Sunday between our two services, 10.20 a.m., we'll have a very brief congregational meeting for the purpose of electing deacons and elders for the coming year. Well, first Sunday of a new year, new decade. Do you have any goals for the new year? Exercise more, get in shape, lose weight, more healthy diet, get in better financial shape, get out of debt. This is the time people make resolutions and set goals. I love this time of year. I'm not one who typically makes resolutions. But what I do love about the start of a new year is it gives us the ability to refocus. Focus our lives on what is really most important. What has 
what will have the greatest eternal significance. And to me, that goal is to come to know God better and to love Him more. God has given us a gift to help us come to know Him better and love Him more. And that is the gift of His very own word to us in Scripture, the books of the Old and New Testament. This year in our church, we're doing something we've never done before. We're embracing one theme for the entire year, and we're calling it one story from shadows to substance. We're going to look at God's one overriding big picture plan as it's presented in the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. And we'll be looking at the various books of the Old and New Testament and how they fit together like the pieces of a beautifully designed puzzle revealing one plan by one divine author and culminating in the work of one great Savior who is Jesus. I'm excited about this, and I, I want to say to you that because we're, we'll be spending some time in Old Testament books, some of which are maybe not our most favorite books to read, like the book of Leviticus and some of the minor prophets and the book of Judges, I know that questions will arise. And we are going to do our best to try to deal with some of the difficult questions that people ask about Scripture this year read an article not long ago by Michael Brown, uh, printed in Decision Magazine, and he said this. He said, true faith does not mean that we turn off our brains. True faith does not mean we don't ask difficult questions. True faith is not afraid of controversy and conflict. True faith says, bring your objections and challenges. I'm standing, standing firmly on the rock. If the Bible really is inspired by God, we should not be afraid to ask the hard questions about what we think may be contradictions or what may be difficult things to understand about God. Like, why did God tell the Israelites to go out and slaughter some of the Canaanite peoples? In his article, Michael Brown goes on to speak of the story of a well-known, best-selling uh, author who has anti-Christian sentiments in his, in his novels, and of this author's own testimony, his own story of how he was growing up, and at the age of 13, he went to his priest and asked his priest if he could help him understand some of the, what he thought were contradictions between science and the Bible. And he says that his priest replied, Nice boys don't ask questions like that. Well, I want to say to you that here in our church, we think, that, we think that nice boys and girls can ask all the questions they want to ask, the hard questions about the Bible, whether it's in youth or in a Sunday school class or in Kids Rock, in a small group or here in church. We want to deal with the, the difficult questions as best we can. I don't mean to imply by that that I or anyone else can answer all those questions but we're not afraid to raise the questions and address them, and hopefully we will uh, be able to help with some of those this year. Now, I want to start with Jesus' own words about God's 
big picture plan as it was first revealed in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Allison read a moment ago uh, some, uh, most of a conversation that Jesus had with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection from the dead. Jesus joined these two followers, and at first they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was, and they were talking about events that had transpired in Jerusalem, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then Jesus eventually reveals himself to these two followers, and um, he begins to call them, as he calls all believers, I think, first to believe all of Scripture, and we see this in uh, Jesus' words, first words to them in verse 25 of Luke 24, he says, O foolish ones, and slow, to, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now hear what Jesus is saying. He's giving a loving and gentle rebuke to these followers of his that they should have believed everything, all that was in the scriptures that the prophets had spoken. If they had, they would know it was necessary that he be crucified and raised from the dead. I stress the word necessary because Jesus found it necessary to live his life in complete obedience to the scriptures and fulfillment of the scriptures. Even those that pointed to his rejection, his suffering, his crucifixion, and his death. Jesus treated scripture as inspired by God and authoritative for all of life. He called it, in John chapter 10, the Word of God. He taught it, he explained it, he applied it, he trusted it, he honored it, and he showed how it pointed to him. He calls his followers to believe all of it. Further, he calls his followers to learn who he is throughout Scripture. We see in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them and all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, when Jesus says Moses, or when the scripture says, Luke says, beginning with Moses, he's referring to the writings that are attributed to Moses. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, sometimes they're called the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible. And all the prophets, and later in this same chapter, Jesus will even speak of the Psalms teaching about him. Now, I realize at the beginning of the year, a lot of people start reading through their Bibles. And so I want to, want to make a recommendation or two because I suspect there are some of us in this room, we start reading through our Bibles in the new year, and we do pretty well in the book of Genesis and not badly in the book of Exodus. And then we get the book of Leviticus. I can hear the sigh in the room already. You've, tried, you've, you've, you've done it, haven't you? You've been there. You read all of the sacrifices and this sort of things, and maybe you plow through and you get to First or Second Chronicles, and there's all these lists of names and this sort of thing. We want to, this year, show why that's important. But I want to say this to you. It would be better to skip over the book of Leviticus than to give up reading the Bible entirely. And I want to encourage you not to give up reading the Bible entirely. And I want to make a couple of recommendations. First of all, if you've, if you've never read the Bible before, I, I do not recommend starting at the, the front and just going through it because you're going to spend 
uh, two-thirds or more of your year in the shadows before you get to the substance. I believe we can understand the Old Testament better when we have the benefit of some understanding of the New Testament. So for a person who's never read the Bible at all, not familiar with it, I recommend starting in the New. Likewise, for a person who's not a believer, and we have plenty of folks who come here investigating the Christian faith, and I love that. I'm, I'm thrilled that that is the case. And for those who are uh, in, in that place, I recommend starting with the New Testament. And if you're only going to read one, one book, starting with the Gospel of John, because the stated purpose of the Gospel of John is to reveal Jesus as a son of God. And it does that in a very beautiful, powerful, and logical way. Now, for those of us who are Christians... We want to read through the Bible in a year. That's a, a great thing to do. I, I recommend that. There are lots of good Bible plans. There are some free Bible reading plans at our uh, resource center. You can get them online. And most of those uh, have some Old Testament and some New Testament reading every day. And I think that's a great plan to follow. My favorite Bible reading plan, it's a little more challenging is the McShane Bible Calendar. It's been around since the mid-1800s, still one of the most widely used in the world. It takes you through the whole Bible in a year and the New Testament and Psalms twice. So you'll end up reading five, six chapters a day on average. Now, understand we ran out of those at the first service. We'll try to have more of them here for you next week, but I think you can also get, uh, get those online as well. So just a recommendation. Don't give up on the whole Bible when you get to some hard stuff in the Old Testament. And we're going to do our best this year to try to see why some of these challenging parts are, are part of the one story, the big picture plan. Thirdly, Jesus calls his followers to rely upon the Holy Spirit in order to know Scripture and serve him. These are critically important words at the end of the Gospel uh, of Luke in chapter 24. Jesus, now gathered with his larger group of disciples, says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And now notice these words. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. They'd been with him three years. He taught them Wonderful truths. But their minds still needed to be open to comprehend what he was calling them to see in the Scripture. He goes on to say, as we move ahead, um, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. Here he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit. The one he had earlier said, who will guide you into all the truth. And here's the point. Those of us who are Christians, who know Jesus Christ, we have this promise. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But we need His help in order to be guided into all the truth. All the truth. He is the great helper. And I, I fear that many Christians who, who genuinely know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit living within, 
that many of us Christians disregard the Holy Spirit. We don't acknowledge His presence. We don't purposefully rely upon Him and draw upon His strength and ask for the fullness of His power and His presence in our lives. So I encourage you as you're opening your Bible to read, pray, Lord, guide me by your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of my understanding. You, Lord, who inspired the, the writing of Scripture, illumine my mind, help me to understand it. And when we do that, <coughs> the Holy Spirit helps us to see that there is one story, one divine author, one Savior, Old and New Testament. Now, you may be thinking, well, if the Old Testament is all about pointing to Jesus, largely about pointing to Jesus, and Jesus has come, and we have the New Testament, and we, we live in and under the teaching of the New Testament, our relationship with God is based on the grace that Jesus brought, and the letters of the New Testament teach us how to live as Christians. Why do we need the Old Testament? Why even read it? Why even study it? It's a question worth asking, and I think we need to understand why the Old Testament is important, because there are a number of voices in our culture and our world today, even, yes, in the church world, that are saying the Old Testament is irrelevant and unnecessary, and Christians should is one uh, very prominent pastor in a country said, unhitch from the Old Testament. I disagree entirely. We don't need to unhitch from it. We need to understand it. And I want to share three reasons this morning why I think we Christians, those who know Jesus and have the New Testament, why we need to study, learn, and know the Old Testament. Now, these points are not going to be on the back of your bulletin this morning, but we have prepared a booklet today for you. <coughs> Excuse me, we've got copies at the Resource Center. They're free. If you want to pick one up, it will have these 10 points in there along with some accompanying scripture and a little more elaboration on these points, and uh, as well as um, a brief effort to try to address some of the harder questions about the Old Testament. 10 reasons why we need to know the Old Testament. Number one, the Old Testament teaches us about God as the creator of everything. If we don't understand the beginning, the foundation, we're not going to comprehend the end and what happens between the beginning and the end. It's critically important to understand what the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis that we'll look at next week, teaches us about God as creator. <coughs> because as our creator, he has the authority to teach us about life, to know what is right and wrong, good and evil, true and false. The Old Testament teaches us about God as the creator of everything that exists. Secondly, the Old Testament reveals the devastating and far-reaching effects of sin. It's in the Garden of Eden that Satan emerges, that sin emerges, and we see the corrupting effect of sin immediately in the human race in the first chapters of the Bible. It's critical to understand this. It's foundational to understanding the rest of the Bible. Thirdly, the Old Testament teaches us about God's holiness. 
I really believe there is a great uh, deficit of understanding among Christians today of the holiness of God, the infinite, utter, awesome holiness of God. And as a result, we often have a lack of what is sometimes called the fear of the Lord, a great reverence and respect for God. And the Old Testament really uh, throughout reveals the awesomeness of the holiness of God. And the book that causes lots of us to give up on our Bible reading plans, the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, we get there in our reading and there are all of these sacrifices and we kind of tend to bog down in that a bit. There's a purpose there. They point to something greater, that is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, but they also make a great point. The point is found in Leviticus chapter 20 where God says, you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from other peoples that you should be mine. I certainly don't understand much about why called, God called for many of the Old Testament sacrifices he did, but they focus on the holiness of God. The Old Testament throughout teaches us of his holiness. Number four, the Old Testament gives us examples to avoid and examples to follow. The Apostle Paul now is writing in the New Testament to the church at Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and notice what he says. He says, now these things happen to them, and he's referring to the Israelites, he's referring to their um, Old Testament uh, experiences recorded in Scripture. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction, our instruction. We Christians who live on the other side of the crucifixion or resurrection of Jesus, we who live in the New Testament, they are written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, how can anyone say Christians don't need the Old Testament when the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, New Testament believers, saying, well, what's written there, Scripture in the Old Testament, is for our instruction. Furthermore, the Old Testament provides us with encouragement and hope. Paul the Apostle likewise writes, this case to the Romans, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Yeah, he's talking about the Old Testament, giving hope, giving endurance, giving encouragement. The Old Testament, number six, <coughs> teaches us how to relate to God and to one another. I'm thinking here, mainly about the Ten Commandments. It would be impossible to state how important the Ten Commandments have been in the history of the human race. I doubt there is another moral code throughout history that has had as great an impact on the world as the Ten Commandments have had. The Old Testament teaches us right and wrong, how to relate to God, how to relate to one another, the Old Testament reveals the attributes and character of God. It's in the Old Testament that we learn about God's um, um, omnipresence, the fact that he's present everywhere, his omnipotence, that he's all power, his omniscience, that he knows everything. The Old Testament, particularly the book of Psalms, majors on one of the great qualities of God, his steadfast love, 
his loving kindness for his people. So the attributes, the character of God is revealed to us in the Old Testament. The Trinity of God, the fact that he's triune, that he's one God but he exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is taught us the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Number eight, the book of Psalms teaches us how to pray and praise and love God. You want to learn how to pray? Read the book of Psalms. Study it. Memorize Psalms. Many of the Psalms are just prayers, and they often come out of circumstances of great pain and suffering. Some of the Psalms are laments, complaints to God about one's circumstances. They teach us. They teach us how to love God even in the midst of adversity. The book of Proverbs is the, the wisdom book of the Bible. If you need wisdom for handling money, if you need wisdom for parenting, if you need wisdom for better relationships, if you need a better attitude about work, if you need a better work ethic, the book of Proverbs majors on practical Wisdom, instruction for life. And then finally, the Old Testament prepares us for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. The passage you'll see on the screen is a New Testament passage written by the Apostle Paul. He's reflecting on the purpose of what he calls the law, and he's thinking of the law given us in the Old Testament certainly including, for example, the Ten Commandments. And he points out here why the law is an important foundation for one who would receive the gospel. And notice what he says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Nobody's going to be saved by trying to keep the Old Testament law perfectly. Nobody's going to be able to do it. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law has a purpose. It brings about our knowledge of what sin is. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That is, they point to it. What is it they point to? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? The law prepares us for the gospel. The law shows us our need, number one, and number two, it bears witness to something. It points to something. And that something is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, in the giving of His life on the cross, became... In the words of John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. He became the great substitute, the great sacrifice, the one who suffered the penalty for our sins in our place. And in his resurrection, he provided eternal life for all who would receive him, all who would know him, all who would embrace his salvation, following him as Lord. And he calls us as his church, those who have received his salvation, to regularly, when we come together, reflect upon what he's done 
And one of the specific ways Jesus calls us to do that is by celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper, communion. You may have grown up in a church where it was called the Eucharist. And we're going to do that this morning and invite you to participate. You don't have to be a member of our church. This might be your first day here. You're still welcome to take communion here, but I'll give a little instruction about it. Um, and the, the words you'll see on the screen now from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you choose to eat the bread, drink the cup, you are in some way that I don't fully understand proclaiming the Lord's death as we await his return. You're proclaiming your own faith in what he's done for you and you're having received what he's done. Now, here's, here's the warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I think what he means here is that this is not some meaningless ritual. I do think it's important if you take communion, while you don't need to be a member of our church, that you do need to be a member of the body of Christ. That is, you have received Jesus as your Savior. He is your Lord. You know you are His. And if you're not sure about that, today would be a wonderful day to become sure about that and to make this the first communion that you take as His follower, as a believer. So I'd like to take a moment now and pray about this and include a moment of silence for us to just examine ourselves. Communion gives that opportunity as well if we need to confess a sin or forgive someone. So would you join me as we pray for a moment? Father, pray that we would observe the Lord's Supper in the right way this morning, that you would help us to do that. Lord, if there are any here who have never truly embraced the salvation of Jesus Christ provided for us in his death and resurrection, would you today bring that one, those ones, to a place of real yielding to you, of faith in what you've done, receptivity of your lordship in our lives, Father, for those of us who are believers, would you show us if there's a sin we need to confess, a person we need to forgive, that we would take communion in the right way before you. Amen.